you are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Our scripture reading today is from 1 Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply, from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. I'm in, and welcome to the first of six consecutive weeks right in the heart of our You Have a Part to Play campaign, where week by week we're going to be looking at, talking about one of the conversation points at large in our culture and seeing how we might be able to respond. And today, as we get going with our first topic, I want to have a little bit of fun to set it up. So I'm going to ask a few questions. We're going to do some trivia time in church. So I'm going to ask a question and you can give the answer. You can raise your hand or say it out loud if you know it. Are you guys ready? We're going to have some fun with this. Here we go. All right. One person's ready. Fantastic. All right. Here we go. Uh, Here's the first question. Trivia time. What's the name of the singer who once played Hannah Montana on TV? Yes. All right. What's the name of her father, by the way? This is the most confident service with that answer. I'm just going to say, what was he originally famous for singing? Now, Billy Ray has got another number one hit out right now. What's the name of that song? Old Town Road. Road. Yeah. Who does he sing it with? Let's go back to Miley for a moment. Who uh, Who was she married to? What was the name of his brother? All right. What famous comic book superhero does he play? Avengers movies. All right, very good. You guys did great. Now let's let's swing this over to another subject. Let's say mm, the Bible, because we're in a church. There are some Christian people in here. I've been told. So here's the first question. This is simply a yes or no. This is a softball for you. Who knows who Judah in the Bible was? You've heard of Judah. All right, yes. Who was his father? <laughs> Jacob was his father. Yeah, we've had Abraham. We've had Joseph. No, 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 no. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was Jacob. Who was Judah's mother? Leah. Leah. Very good. Thank you. All the way from second and first service, probably. I'm, I'm kidding. No, no. You got it. 
No, for, that, that was, that's been the stumper all day. Who is Lee is his mother? Uh, what's the shortest book in the Bible? No, it's actually Third John. Third John. Third John. What's the longest book in the Bible? Hint, it's not the Psalms. It's Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible, word count. Who was his father? You know, Miley's father. How about the father of the, the author of the longest book in the Bible? Hilkiah was his name. A crowd pleaser, to be sure. Who was the pastor of the famous church at Ephesus in the first century? Timothy, yes. There's a campus missionary for you right there. Reaching the world. Change the campus, change the world. Know your Bible. That's a, the that's a new phrase. There's Timothy. Who was Timothy's mother? Eunice was her name. Very good. Now give yourselves a hand. Yeah. Now, the point of that little exercise, no matter how you may be feeling about yourself right now, was not to expose you, but more to expose us and us uh, in the sense of exposing the world, exposing the culture that we all live in right now. And that is a society marked by, and we're going to talk about this today, <coughs> excuse me, a society marked by, in increasing ways, something called fame culture, fame culture. And so we're going to see from the scripture reading today from 1 Peter 1 that in contrast to this thing called fame culture, that the Bible is going to tell us, this is good news, that there is actually hope beyond this life that there's hope within this life and that there is a kind of fame that will last forever. There's a hope beyond this life, within this life, and a kind of fame that will last for forever. Let's look at number one and see why the Bible can say there's hope beyond this life. And to get to that, I first want to try and define this thing called fame culture. What is that? Well, as you can see from that phrase, the central word is the word what? Come on. Fame, yeah, fame simply means, dictionary definition, it means, quote, the state of being known or talked about by many people, especially for their notable achievements. And of course, on one hand, this isn't bad in and of itself. In every culture, there have been people famous, become well-known, especially for their notable achievements. All cultures have had people become famous for one thing or another. But we are rapidly becoming famous for being the first culture in history to turn fame from a byproduct of notable achievement to a destination in and of itself without notable achievements. In other words, we're the first culture to drop that last phrase, notable achievement, and therefore we've gone from this definition, the state of being known or talked about, especially for notable achievements, to simply this. It's just a state or being known or being talked about by many people. That's fame culture, a culture that just desires to be known or talked about and will do anything just to get it. But why is this? Where does this whole thing come from? And I think there's a couple of more surface level factors. We're going to look at them each in turn. The first of which is celebrity worship. Celebrity worship, that's been around, of course, been a growing thing in the U.S. for 40 essentially years now, especially since your favorite magazine, People began to be published in 1978. Uh, Richard Cohen for Vanity Fair, he put celebrity worship like this. It's a remarkable uh, quote. He said, quote, I have long believed that celebrity, the way we worship and package and sell our pop stars, is what filled the need for gods that was once filled by the pictures in stained glass. Hollywood is post-Christian Venice. In other words, a pantheon of saints without the hassle heartache of religion. 
So he's saying, on one hand, there is celebrity worship in our culture, but added to this is the rise of something which I think is actually the definitive marker of our culture today, and that's something called expressive individualism. What's that? Well, ancient culture said, we define you. Ancient culture said, you get your value from an us, from a community. But today, modern Western culture, we say only you can define you. You get your value from looking deep within and expressing whatever it is that you see there as an individual. Expressive individualism sounds like this, and we're going to quote the queen bee herself today. She put it like this. Beyonce said, your self-worth is determined by you. You don't have to depend on someone telling you who you are. And if you think that's 100% true, I beg to differ, but I'm not here to critique that as much today as just to say that view is a radical departure from the way that nearly everyone who has ever lived has ever lived. No longer do we depend, or say we depend upon, a community to help form us, or even the voice of God. We look within to determine our value and express what we find there. So to put it all together, when you have a celebrity worship seed watered by the desire to, ex- to express the self, I think we got, here we go, yeah, we got a, 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 seed, a celebrity worship seed, we water it with self-expression, it's all cooking in this greenhouse of social media and reality TV where you can get instantly famous, you have the flowering of fame culture. Or as Francis Fukuyama puts it, we are a culture now marked by, quote, a fight to the death for pure prestige. We're fighting and dying to become famous. And this affects us in lots of ways. It affects our young people in particular. Recently, researchers from UCLA were forced to watch or chose to watch way more tween shows than anyone should ever have to watch. And they found that as far back as 2007... The number one value being communicated through the stories was a desire for fame. Flash forward 10 years later now, 2017, UCLA found, not surprisingly, that the number one goal of preteens today is to become famous. You say, that's preteens? Now look at this. Pew Research Center, 2013, said in college students, 18 to 25-year-olds, they found now that getting rich is less important than getting famous. Flash forward to full-blown adults. Counselors, psychologists are warning about a massive uptick in, quote, adults who deal with depression and anxiety when they can't live up to their dream fame. This is incredible. Teens, college students, adults, careers and families all wanting to be famous and we struggle when we aren't. But we should pause here, right here for a moment and just ask, what if we actually caught what we were all fishing for? What if we actually got fame? What if we got famous? What if we actually got that thing we say we all want, which is to be really, really well-known? What if we got that? Well, someone named Cynthia Heimel. She was a pop culture writer. She followed celebrity culture for a newspaper in New York called The Village Voice for many years. And she wrote this fascinating column about her experiences. And Cynthia Heimel said she had known... A-list star after A-list star for years when they were first starting out. People like Sylvester Stallone and, and Julia Roberts. And she said, like everybody else, they thought when they got started, hey, if I can just get to be successful, if I can just get to, to be famous, if I can just get to be really, really well-known, I'd be okay and happy. But she wrote, when that actually happened, 
When they caught what they were fishing for, she said, this is what happened to many of them. Look at this quote. She said, I pity celebrities. (laughs) No, I do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked. They pushed. The morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose because that giant thing they were striving for That fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, had happened. And nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. And she concluded like this, quote, I think when God wants to play a really rotten, practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish. Well, she's basically saying, she's basically saying that fame is a false hope. Fame won't make you happy. And if you actually got it, you might regret that you did. But, but into all this conversation, all this stuff, all this research about fame, fame culture, being well-known, being famous, wandered someone named the Apostle Peter. And Peter's got something to say about all this. At the end of the uh, letter that bears his name, at the end of chapter 1, he drops this on us. Peter says this, Oh, but all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. How can Peter say this at the end of chapter 1? Well, it's because of something he says at the beginning of chapter 1, which we're going to take a look at right now. In 1 Peter 1, 3, this is why he says you can drop fame culture. Verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God of our fa- and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And again, into all of this, Peter wanders, and he says, actually, oh, there is hope for this life. There, you can drop the illusion of fame because of one thing. He says it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and therefore we can have hope beyond this life. Here's why. It's because the resurrection, I want you to, we're going to focus in on this. The resurrection proves that there is life beyond the grave. Therefore, we don't have to get everything in this life. Now, we don't have to get rich or die trying, as it's been said. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means there was a real person who really lived, who really died in history, but he was really touched and seen and spoken to alive after his public execution and burial. And this proves there is a life beyond this one. And because, because this is so important, because this historical claim of the resurrection is so important, and because it's the hook upon which Christian hope hangs, I want to give you now quickly three reasons why you should and can believe that the resurrection is true. First, Paul, Apostle Paul, over in 1 Corinthians, in what are possibly the most important verses in all of the Bible, he writes to a whole bunch of people and he says, Jesus Christ wasn't just seen by uh, some individuals or some small groups after he rose from the dead, which he was. Paul says he was actually seen interacted with by a group of more than 500 people all at once. 
Now, what does this mean? This means that if Paul wants to maintain his credibility as a truth teller, he's not only not making this up, but he is using this claim as a means of establishing credibility. He's saying, go and talk to hundreds and hundreds of people uh, around the Mediterranean. They're still alive in that day. Go ask him. Second, number two, he's saying some of the ones then that you would have talked to and you would have interviewed actually would have been women. Here's why this is a big deal. The gospel accounts all include women as a reliable source of a witness in a time when women were not allowed in either Roman or Jewish jurisprudence to be included as witnesses. Point is, if you were going to make up a resurrection story to further your movement, to get famous, you would never start with, go talk to the women. You wouldn't have in that day. The only reason you would have for including them in that day is if you were interested in getting the story right. It doesn't help your claim unless it's actually true. And you're more concerned with the truth than with being famous in public opinion. Furthermore, third, the historical record shows that as these interviews uh, took place, as these witnesses were talked to now, 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 thousands upon thousands of Jewish people began to worship the resurrected person of Jesus Christ as God, in spite of both being culturally and socially preconditioned to not believe upon pain of death. What reason could Orthodox Jews have for abandoning their faith for something brand new? Oh, only if there was reliable evidence. Now, the way of putting it all together would be this. If there was no resurrection... What gave birth to the Christian faith and the Christian church? Think about it. They had no New Testament, no Gospels, no facilities, building light, sound, air conditioning, comfy chairs, free coffee at the coffee bar, right? There was only an empty tomb, only a real person named Jesus whose resurrection proves there is hope beyond this life, hope beyond the grave. Therefore, we don't have to place all our hope in this life right now. That's the first reason why there is hope beyond this life. But there's not only hope beyond this life, thankfully, there's also hope, Peter says, within this life. Number two, there's hope within this life. And to see what that is, let's go a little deeper into fame culture. I want to ask this question. What, at a more fundamental level, yeah, there's celebrity worship, expressive individualism, but at a deeper level, what has really created the culture in which fame culture can flower put it like this what's the soil in which all of this grows let me problematize with you for a moment 2016 the new york times reported that our suicide rate as a nation was at a 30 year high the rate of suicide over the last eight years has doubled over the rate the previous eight years had and the highest spike was in middle school girls And by the way, if this is you today, if you struggle with this, hear me, you are not alone. Number two, people love you here. Number three, we have people who want to help with you, can talk with you. That doesn't have to be your choice. But but in in, in the middle of all of this, in this article, all of these experts were called to basically find out, man, why is this happening? Why Why are we doing this? Finally, someone had the sense to call someone named Robert Putnam, a respected social scientist, and they asked, what does it mean when people in a society are ending their lives at such a historic rate? And Putnam put it like this. He said, quote, it pretty much proves that the society has got a crisis of hopelessness. 
a crisis of hopelessness. And you know what? I think he's right. I think we have a crisis of hopelessness in our nation, which shows up in a number of ways. Fame culture is just one symptom of that. I think our hopelessness shows up, yes, in our suicide rate. I think hopelessness shows up in our opioid addiction. I think hopelessness shows up in our TVs, in our movies, in our, in our television shows. I mean, come on, how many zombie shows can we make? How many dystopian shows can we, into the world, into the world movies can we make? I'm looking at you, Vampire Diaries. I'm looking at you, Walking Dead. I'm looking at you, Godzilla Blade Runner. We could go on and on. If our storytellers reveal what's on our minds, it shows we don't think we have a bright future. Hopelessness shows up in the rate of people. Uh, hopelessness shows up in the rate of people dropping out of the workforce. That's happening. People just aren't looking for work anymore. It shows up in our in our nation's population birth rate. The birth rate in the U.S. is declining, and studies show that happens when the society becomes more secular and has less faith in God. We see we don't have a future. Therefore, this is the first generation of people that is saying we don't think we can be better off than our parents, and so we're either dropping out of life or ending our life or not birthing new life or in a last ditch effort at meaning we scratch and claw at a famous life fame culture as robert bella put it is really just the denial of death it's just another way of dealing with hopelessness because here's why if there is no god that means there is no meaning there's no meaningful future this life is all we have now and if this life is all we have now then we got to get all we can right here right now before our one chance ends but the bible insists just the opposite peter insists not only is there hope beyond this life he says no there's hope within this life. I hope right now, look at this. Again, he says, in his great mercy, he's given his new birth into what? Come on. A living hope through the resurrection. What does it mean? What does it mean to have a living hope within this life? Well, let me ask you this question. How many of you went to see that, uh, the new version of The Lion King? You guys went to see it. How many of you have seen the original? Come on. Yeah, we're all raised on that. Yeah. And of course, it's a great story. It's so much in there that's great. Great story, but there's this one part about hope in the movie and this one part happens when when Simba the baby cub is talking to Papa Daddy King Cub uh, lion and, and he asks daddy you know what happens when we die what happens when we die what's next what hope is there and of course father puts that you know daddy you know bear cub you know lion paw on him and he says he says son here's the great thing about death you ready and now I'm paraphrasing you know he says when we die you ready that's it. We become fertilizer. We fertilize the ground, Simba. And then we come up in a plant. And then a group of animals eats us. And then a bigger group of animals eats the group of animals that ate us when we were plants, after we were fertilizer. Then the antelope eats that group. So no worries. You just become part of the circle of life. And then there's this huge Elton John song about it where we get all misty-eyed and we start, dude, we're just a part, we're just a part of the circle of life. That's just another way of singing that our future is fertilizer. That's what that means. Now, you'll be glad to know, thankfully, that there's no mommy or daddy lions that are teaching young Simbas about that in M-Kids today because that is not a living hope. That is a dead hope because here's what that means if the circle of life is all there is. It means that you do not have 
a personal self. A personal self, and therefore your choices within this life mean nothing. There is no you to you. Once you die, all you've ever loved vanishes. All you've ever hoped for vanishes. All you've ever suffered vanishes. It's meaningless. All you've become through courage, bravery, and sacrifice vanishes. It means what you do right now won't last But the resurrection of Jesus Christ means we have a living hope because it means our choices matter now because we last beyond this life. Jesus, he came back as who? Come on. Himself, he's still Jesus. That means who you are in this life, if your trust is in him, carries over into the next. What makes you, you is not recycled for an antelope to eat, right? Therefore, that means you can have hope in this life now. That who you are, what you become, what you endure, your struggles and your suffering, just like Jesus' struggle and suffering, means that it matters. It means that it matters. Yourself endures into eternity. Therefore, you can have hope now within this life. Peter shows us there's hope beyond this life. He shows us there's hope within this life. But number three, he also shows us finally, there is actually a kind of fame that will last for forever. Let's see what that is. Look at verse four. He goes on to it. He says, we had this new birth, living hope, and it's brought us into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Peter's speaking of something that will not only last for forever, but it's also something I hope to show you that speaks to our deepest longings and need to be known right now. George MacDonald, yeah, he's the same one who wrote the Princess and the Goblin story last week. John, uh, George MacDonald was a Scottish minister, and he, he wrote a, a sermon called, quote, The New Name. And the new name was all about the book of Revelation, taking a look at that, all about eternity, all about heaven, which uh, uh, Peter references here. And he looks at Revelation 2, and he looks at that point where Jesus is speaking to a group of Christians in Revelation 2. And he says, one day when we meet face to face, I'm going to give you, Revelation 2, 17, he says, a white stone with a new name on it. Let's go back to the Bible verse. Uh, yeah, uh, why, why with a new name written on it, known only to him, to the one who receives it. Now, why all this big deal about a name? Why a sermon about a name? Well, it's because names in the Bible are a big deal. Names in the Bible express the truest nature of who you are, who a person was. Uh, God was always messing with changing, uh, changing people's names. Uh, Jacob was changed to who? Come on, Bible trivia people. Israel, yeah, yeah. Uh, Simon, who wrote the letter of Peter, was changed to Peter, right? Saul was changed to Paul, right? Names are a big deal to God. And that's why right here in Revelation 2, MacDonald saw, and you should see, that this moment that is being described as our inheritance is also a big deal. McDonald says, here's what the giving of the true name really means. Quote, he says, the true name is one which expresses the character, the nature, the meaning of the person who bears it. It is the man's, the person's own symbol, his soul's picture in a word, the sign, which belongs to him or her and no one else. For who can give a man this, his own nature, but God alone for, he said, no one but God sees what a man is, sees who a woman is. Think about what it feels like. Come on, think about it. What it feels like to be really fully known, 
by your spouse if you have one. Think about what it means to be fully known in those moments with a friend where you really connect or what it's like to be really known by your parents or really be known by your children when you really connect, when you feel known by, yeah, even your local church, what that feels like. That's a really big deal. It's one of the best gifts you could ever get to be seen and known. And what McDonald is showing us here and what Peter points out is that the gift of being known to your core The gift of being known to the bottom of you is something that the followers of Jesus Christ will receive and experience to infinite degrees and infinite depths. One day, God will show you. I love this. He has always completely known you and completely seen you for who he has made you to be. No matter what others have tried to do, no matter the labels they've given you, the boxes they've put you in, the places they've kept you out of, oh, one day, the, God, the gift God will give is the full experience of the incomprehensible joy of being known face-to-face by Him. Not because of your notable achievement, but because of the matchless, the notable achievement of the King of glory, Jesus Christ, because of his life and his death and his resurrection, Jesus is going to put into your hands the full measure of being known by the famous one for all eternity. And Peter says that gift, that inheritance is being kept for you and nothing can touch it or take it away because of resurrection how can this be like this it's because there was one jesus who was rejected by the public the last week of his life he rides into crowds and cheers and tv ratings but by the end of the week they were crucifying him one moment they're crowning him the next they were killing him handing him over to torture and death and on the cross he became the ultimate unknown to God. He became unknown even by his father. He cries out, what? My God, why have you forsaken me? Where have you gone? And the one who had every right to human glory, to human fame, the deserving king of the universe became scorned and cast out. Why? He was getting what all of our, what all of our cultures, self-centered stabs at fleeting fame deserve that rejection and casting out so that we now who trust in him could receive what his flawless record deserves, the inheritance of being known and received and held and seen by our great king of glory forever. And that is good news. And that is the gospel. As Martin Luther wrote, when you you know that Jesus' record of fame passes to you, you can say this, you can say, let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill, his truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. So what do we do with this quickly as we begin to close? What's our part to play? Let me give you three quick takeaways, what you can do with this today. In response to fame culture, three quick things, three things to dig into. They've all got a C label. First, let me encourage you to dig into your character. Yes, to your character. Why? It's because who you are, what you become, it matters more than what you do. Second, we encourage you to dig into community. Here's why. It's because if one of the greatest gifts we can receive is being known, 
That is also one of the great gifts we can give one another right here in your community groups as you serve. Dig into your community. And finally, dig into your calling. Your calling. What's, what's God asking you to do? What's God calling you to do? Whether you're a street sweeper, you're a CEO someplace in between, what's God asked of you to do right now? Be great at that. Dig into that right now, today. Be great at that and let that whole fame thing Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.